Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the company Horns of Odin. And today I'm joined by Eric Westcote. I was too busy focusing on your first name that I forgot the second name. So Eric Westcote. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Scaldic poetry, uh, one specific type in, I guess, yeah, one spe- one type specifically would be the right right way to put it. Um, yeah, do you want to just give a little introduction, Eric, into kind of who you are? I have a, I recently finished a PhD in, from the University of Iceland in Icelandic literature on the topic of the craft of skalds. And those are poets who do, um, in post-medieval Icelandic folktales, who do uh, magic by means of their improvised poetry. Mm-hmm. And before that, a, an MA in Viking and Medieval Norse Studies from the University of Iceland and University of Oslo. And I have other research interests um, in things like mythology, Old Norse religion, runes, magic, and esotericism. And I also write some creative poetry on those topics as well. Wonderful. And I have, yeah, for all that, I have a uh, Patreon and a blog as the Skaldic Eagle, and two main books of poetry in print. Uh, one is called Viking Poetry for Heathen Rites, and the other is Eagle's Mead. Mm-hmm. And the former is also true ritual poetry and the latter is runic esoteric poetry wonderful and i'm working on uh, one of my upcoming research projects would be more on uh court skalds or more on the skaldic poetry okay yeah i think that's what i would i would oh, did you just drink out of a, a little chalice as well <laughs> Yes. So not not only have you turned it with a bigger, better beard than me, also a little silver silver chalice. Where did you pull that from? I wasn't expecting to see that. Okay, I think let's see. I've had that for a while. I think I got it on eBay a long time ago. Oh, at least you said you magic it. I may have. Okay, so I think most people would have heard of scaldic poetry. That's what I think the majority of people would kind of have some basic understanding of. And we just have a, I guess, a little rundown maybe of what that is before we look at one specific type. I guess, um, I guess what most people know of as scaldic poetry is from the medieval Norse period. And it's most famous as um, praise poetry from what would be known as court scalds to their various uh, chieftains or kings. And a lot of the rulers around that time, I guess they would gather poets around them. And the poet, the, the poet's poetry would serve as ways of praising the king and also recording um, like certain things in memory. And this is a part of the, I guess you could say part of the dynamic in the, in the theater at uh, medieval um, pre-Christian court politics. And then of course, some, um, these aspects carried over even after the kings became Christianized. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this Scaldic poetry survives, um, especially the Icelanders. Um, they had quite a thing for recording it. And they've recorded, I think, nearly all the Scaldic poetry that exists um, in around the 13th century in various manuscripts. And some of these poems go quite long. There's hundreds, if not thousands of stanzas. Wow. And, there are, and the poetry is dense, with very particular um, metaphors known as kennings. Mm-hmm. It'll be um, shortest example of a kenning would be to say that in, instead of just saying a warrior, you would say tree of battle because they would use um, tree words for human beings. And okay. for a king, 
if you want to say he's generous, you might call him a hater of gold. That is, he <laughs> hates gold so much he's giving it away. <laughs> I love little bits like that. Yeah. And the po- and this poetry had a lot of um, rhyme and alliteration. Okay. Kind of rhyme is what most of us are familiar with, and then alliteration, where you would match um, uh, the initial consonants of words, like, let's see, think of, yeah, <laughs> yeah crafty cups, according to Irik, would be an example of a short line alliterating on the mm-hmm. um, K sound. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. So, I guess, would it be fairly recognizable to what we would associate as poems today? Because for me, anyway, a poem is something probably with alliteration and rhymes. But then I've read some things that class as poems that don't rhyme, and I don't really understand what constitutes exactly a poem. Well, okay, in the, in, in the old Norse era, um, poetry had to alliterate. Okay. I guess, for example, um, Snorri Sturluson, in his book, Edda, he talks about writing skaldic poetry, and in one section he exemplifies roughly 102, 102 different verse forms. Um, every single one of them has alliteration. Okay. So the, like the idea of these people having poetry without alliteration is unthinkable. <laughs> that That's pretty much my opinion, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Most that's... of them have rhyme too, but there's a few that don't have rhyme. Okay, so it would be to modern day, obviously, if we, I guess, if you could read it, if you, you know, if you were skilled enough to read Old Norse or Old Icelandic, you would be able to associate and read it as poetry. Yes. Wonderful. That's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating that it kind of transcends time like that. So, um, you... We wanted to, we're going to talk about a specific type. It's craft craft scout. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, craft scout. Craft scout. And you said before that it's like um, what was the word that you used? No, it wasn't akin to to scout poetry. It was like a descendant of descendant. Yes. Yeah. So does that mean it comes after, or is it running concurrent with? After, very much after. Okay. And this will be a delightful surprise for those who weren't aware of that. Um, it's actually much after. Um, it's first what happened with the poetic forms. I guess the famous one that all the skaldic poetry or most of the skaldic poetry in is something called drogkite. There's um, certain combinations of line lengths and rhyme. And I guess as the centuries, when it gets to about the 14th, 15th century, this starts evolving into a different kind of meter style called a reamer. There's um, there's yeah many different forms of reamer meters precisely, but the, the, um they involve rhyme and alliteration as well. Okay, they change the line structures, and that would be too long of a discourse to go into exactly how they work. But you'll get to hear some of these reamer later. Mm-hmm. And also, as the time passes on, like Iceland has become part of Norway, and then you no longer have court scalds going over to. Norway to give praise to the Norwegian king. There's a lot of social changes. And I think some what happens is some aspects of this court scald phenomenon, they evolve in a homegrown manner. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see. In, and then starting also in the later centuries, what we see is um, 
folk tales rising up about poets who can do magic through their improvised verse. And that's what these craft skulls are. Okay. So what would constitute a craft skull? If like pretend you're talking to someone who's never heard of it before, which is, I actually hadn't heard of it before we were going to talk about it, which again is always the funnest episode for me where it's something completely new. Mm. Um, what would, what would separate it from typical skaldic poetry? As in, um, you know, first, the poetry is operative and magical. It would typically the poet will speak something, and at least according to the folk tale, it will have a direct magical effect. Okay, and it's usually to the it's usually composed to the particular circumstances. Um, we'll get let's see, and as a and would not be like necessarily as a praise poem. I think the best way to give an example of that is um, I can read here a short tale. I'll put the verse in Icelandic as well. Um, I'll, I'll just read the translation of the tale, and I'll put the, the, the verse in both Icelandic and modern English translation. Um, I'll attempt to do the verse in a sort of reamer style, but I'm not that practiced in it, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Okay, and this is um, a famous one about um, one of the most famous of these craft skalds in um, Iceland, um, Hattelgrimmer Pietersen. He's Iceland's most revered religious poet, and he's still quite famous there for a number of religious verses he wrote. But here's how the tale goes. He was a priest back in the 17th century, mm-hmm. as the tale goes. One Sunday, when the priest offered mass and stood in his vestments before the altar, he looked out through the choir window and saw a fox was biting a sheep. Unhappily, he forgot where he was standing and chanted, Thu sembiter bondens fie, olveth i fer oigens fie, statu nu sem stopnus tre, stenedoiv au yervene. You who bite the farmer's sheep, May our eyes be cursed. Stand now like a rooted tree, stone dead in the earth. This finished the, off the sly beast completely. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you have a great voice for reading for reading poetry. Thank you. Um, okay, so he's clearly given some sort of like magical spell. What, what is he saying? For, for those that don't understand it. Well, um, yes. So he, he, yeah, he, basically, he's 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 in church. He's the priest giving mass, and while he's in the middle of it, looks out, sees this fox, and then mm-hmm. um, um, makes this verse on the spot, which kills the fox. And the story goes on to say that um, as punishment for this misuse of his poetic gift, um, God took away his ability to compose poetry for a while. Okay, but the obviously the the, the middle bit this is like the, I guess. Is incantation is that the would that be the right word? The little poem kind of. Middle, um, middle I guess you could use incantation. Oh, obviously that because the rest of it's all been translated into English. That bit's obviously still in the original. The original. Well, yeah, the, and the Icelandic part I read is from the original, but I also read it like um, yeah, I guess right after the Icelandic, the an English translation of that of that verse. Oh, okay, I'm with you. I, I, that's what I got. Okay, I'm with you now. I got uh, got myself tripped up. I was like, that's why I was trying to understand what that the little Icelandic bit was. 
Okay. There's a few, there's a few more later. Well, I'll do, where I'll do the same thing. I'll read the Icelandic verse first, and then okay. the translation. That makes perfect sense. I was I thought you can, it was kind of part of the story where it just goes into oh, no. into Icelandic. That makes that makes perfect sense now. <laughs> um, okay, so it's a type of poetry that, like you say, it has magic in it. Is it usually? I guess because obviously magic can be in different ways. It's usually more like a conjuring style magic. Not exactly sure what precisely you mean by conjuring, but I would characterize this more. I guess, I guess, as in um, trying to trying to make something happen from the magic. Kind of, I guess, in the one that you read, it it yes made them lose the ability for for poetry. Did you say so? Something like well, no, like. It, it, Okay, okay, that's some some part of those. It killed the fox. Okay. So that, there's a direct effect. It's conjuring in that sense. There's a direct effect desired, which was to kill the fox, because he, he saw this fox. It was biting some farmer's sheep. And so okay. he chants this verse, and it kills the fox. It's later on in part of the tale, they say that God took away his oh, okay. poetry for a while. Yeah. Because like you know, to do that in the middle of Mass is a bit of a... <laughs> Boo boo. <laughs> okay, I'm with yeah, I'm with you now. I think I uh the whole middle part just got me completely spun around with okay. with that one. I'm with you. Um okay, so yeah, it's it's a little bit of a bad thing to be killing foxes, I guess, in mm-hmm. in mass. But would yes, the so-, I, so first of all, I guess would these mainly be linked to Christianity in that kind of setting, or is that just this one? That's well, that's this one. In, in the strong sense, very rarely do we see there's this is like almost the only mention of God punishing one of these craft skulls for the use of their poetry. Okay. Because otherwise, I don't think that happens. And a lot of these craft skulls, and there's perhaps the names of roughly 200 different craft skulls in the folkloric records. And okay. Many of them are priests um, during that time period. Okay, that, so yeah, is, I guess that's kind of so. So, this one, the one that you read, is that from the perspective of the priest? Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's the priest running mass, and it feels like. Um, I guess what I what I'm getting at is, you you tend not to really link magic to Christianity. Obviously, I mean, some people may say that all of Christianity is magic but they maybe them themselves they wouldn't it seems like magic has never really been a favorable thing hmm. okay and that's that's the unusual thing here iceland had a lot of fine distinctions i think with regards to magic and in particular the poetic gift whatever its use was valued so highly that the icelanders simply would not tarnish it by associating it with evil. So even, even though even though this the poetry is used for these various effects, it's never condemned as an evil power. Okay. That's interesting. Cause I would have and this I, is I would... even more oh yeah, it's even more shocking because sometimes these um craft of skulls will call on God or even the devil um almost arbitrarily for a particular effect that's desired. How how does I mean, how does that go down? Does that not 
I again, I was. I feel like that would bring about punishment. That would be kind of against Christianity to bring certainly to bring the devil, but even to like bring God for your, like your own, um, your own use would certainly be seen a bit negative. Perhaps, but I mean, there's um, yeah, that that the tale I mentioned with about the fox. That's really the only one in which it's like a craft of skulls that gets appears to be punished by God for using the verse talent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, but yeah, it's fair enough. So, is there anything else that makes it Craft Scout its own, its own thing, other than just the the use of magic or mention of magic? Yeah, I would say um that really is the core of it. That um and these are spontaneous and usually almost always these are verses composed on the spot. I guess spontaneous verses composed on the spot towards some kind of magical effect. Mm-hmm. And okay. generally, um, it's, it's they're, they're often said, sometimes it's said that the, the poet in some way had some kind of hot or agitated mind. So there's an implication that the, the mental state of the poet is important to the magic working in these tales. That, that's a little bit fascinating. Okay, and there's there's another tale. In fact, there's another tale here that would illustrate that. Okay. Um, let's see. I'll I'll try listen to this one properly and not get not get myself all confused. Okay, and it's um the name of the craft of scald is let's see, uh, Thorther Austriugi. I think he's one of the. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly when he was reputed to live. I think it may have been the late 16th century or early 17th he's one of the older ones but the tale goes um let's see he's at he's at a, he's at a um he's at a, at a harbor town um oh hove the quite stother and like he's had some bad run-in with a merchant and at the time here a thing to keep in mind this is a lot of these are set during the time of the danish trade monopoly in iceland where the crown um crown of denmark had a lot of restrictions on who could trade with Iceland. And one of the results of this trade monopoly is that the there's a lot of anti-Danish sentiment in Iceland. Okay. Okay. And anyway, um, yeah, Thorther is there. He gets um, uh, some bad treatment from a merchant and then goes and hears the vert and, and then chants a verse in response. Christer men fir kraften fen, hunger himmens frei, gave thu fan vint algraivis hint, a ganki alt or laiye. And the translation of that For your power, my Christ, O famous King of Heaven, give such wind to the deer of the sea, so that everything goes wrong. And in there, deer of the sea is a canning for a ship. Okay. But continuing the tale, um, some say, however, that um, Thorther had felt regret afterwards for this verse and chanted it again differently. And, and the, the verse would be, um, the changed verse, um, Christer men fir kraften fin, honker himmens aulauva, gave thu fan vint algraivis hint, a got se viv aulauva. And tr- the, ver- the translation being, for your power, my Christ, O King of heaven and earth, Give such wind to the deer of the sea, so that it may be good for sailing. Uh, but when and 
And then continuing the tale, and this is a very this is one of those very important hints that the tales sometimes give us. It says, but when the weather did not improve, Thorther declared, such was my expectation, because I could not request a boon for those Danish dogs with as hot a mind as I request ill for them. And yes, what? the original the original Norse um, definitely um, uses the phrase Danish dogs, because this is, again, the, all the hostility of the trade yeah. monopoly times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what do you think the importance is of that change of will, I guess? Because the first one is very damning and the second one is very pleasant. So, mm -hmm. but, but I also like, they clearly have written it down because they want to see the changing of the mind. It's because otherwise you would just write the second one. Okay. Well, I guess that's one of them. That's one of the major hints that I guess his, his first verse was spoken more forcefully and it's felt um, there's, I guess, a number of different ways that could explain it, but kind of the internal mental intensity when the poet is speaking his verse is the necessary component for the magic to actually succeed. Mm -hmm. Listen, I guess it's somewhat a question, I guess, to how much, I guess, over these centuries, to what degree, like, the Icelanders believed that craft of skulls could actually cause things to happen with their verse. Yeah. And I think there's at least, there's at least some indications of that um, at times. And then there's, and of course, with the way the weather changes in Iceland, Mm -hmm. Even if even if he wants to be a hundred percent skeptic with the way um the weather changes in Iceland, you know, it's at some point, you know, someone's going to chant a verse, and then the weather will do what they want it to do, just mm -hmm. out of pure dumb luck. <laughs> yeah. So, but I feel like there has to be some. Do we know? I guess that the time gap between the first verse and the second verse—you can't really tell that in in writing, mm -hmm. but. Just I feel like there has to be some sort of significance to why they would include this almost remorseful feeling and then the change of direction from wanting negative weather to then being I have to have favorable weather. It it feels like it it must be quite important to put that in. I'm not sure if you can if you've ever thought about mm. that or maybe why. Mm. It, but for me, anyway, I you know I don't know. I just I, it feels like it, there must be some importance as to 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 include this U-turn in in emotion, I guess. Okay. Well, one way is that um okay oh, okay I, I thought of something there. There's um for these kinds of stories, it's it would be extreme actually virtually unheard of. For, for in these in the tales that are at least passed down for the craft of skulls verse to fail okay so generally if there if there's a verse that's chanted it will have its it will have its effect or will be said to have some kind of effect mm -hmm. um, you'll you'll virtually never have a statement where um in these folk tales where it will flat out say the verse just failed okay and and so this is kind of a way um where he's um I guess Thorther is excusing his failure as um he, he wasn't really trying. And I, as Maybe, to why yeah. he even as as to why he felt regret and wanted to change his mind about cursing these Danish merchants. Um, yeah, <laughs> who knows? Maybe yeah. Maybe he chanted the first one, looked outside, and saw it was a bright sunny day, and was like, oh, "I better change that verse." <laughs> mm -hmm. Better 
make it a little bit more favorable to suit the weather. But no, but no. According to the story, the the, ver- the weather was bad, and it just it, it, the weather did turn bad, but it did not turn back to good after the second verse. Oh, okay. I apologize. So it was bad, and it stayed. But yeah, it stayed bad. So mm-hmm. the second one was the one that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, see, so that that makes me that makes me even more curious as to why that second verse is there. Because if the if the story was that he was it was going to be bad weather and he was going to stay bad weather the whole way through, then what's the point of putting the second verse in of him to try and change the weather? Am I am I missing something here? Like it just feels like why? No, no, I, what, I, I, I do see. It. I do see the, your point. Um, what would be the point? It feels like there must be some significance to this to this second verse of him almost having the remorse and changing his mind. I feel like it's. It's kind of redundant if the weather doesn't change. Hmm. So unless it's to 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 show the intent of at least kind of a good nature, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe intent of good nature. Um, I mean, my mind would try to analyze it from like a like a folk tale folk teller hmm. perspective. Like, why would a teller put this in? Um, maybe because he wants to give um, make a statement about the hot mind issue yeah or maybe it's because um yeah like or maybe he heard maybe he heard the verse two different ways and um just tried to figure out how to <laughs> how do you put both and then just ended up um mm-hmm. maybe change the tale so it includes both verses do you find many of them having like a moral undertone to them uh i guess the the first one that you read, it is there is a punishment, I guess, for for killing the fox, particularly during mm-hmm. mass, during like a you know a sacred time. Um, the second one, maybe it's don't wish for things unless you're gonna get them. Is that the right? Mm-hmm. What is it? You what is it? Don't. But I, I, I feel like Thor. I feel like Thor. There, he he really certainly wanted to. Um, I guess yeah. Um, yeah. Don't. You don't for what yeah, don't wish for things if you don't really want them. But I think yeah, Thor there, it seems to me really wanted that ship to have bad weather. <laughs> he did, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, moral <laughs> tales. Um okay, there's another one. And this is, I think, um and this also ties into the the hot mind thing. Because this is a verse. The verse in this makes, I guess, very clear the two components to a craft a scald verse. There's like the mind in some way, and then there's um the speaking, the mouth, um, the speaking of the poetry. And this is another of those rare treats among the verses where the verse very explicitly mentions both. And as you said, for a moral tale, well, um, there's a moral to this one, it would appear, and this has to do with, um, let's see, hospitality to, in this case, in this particular time period, um, vagrants, um, Okay. You'd have um wandering vagrants. Um, this is, I believe, I want to say this is a this is um one of the most famous um, no, not not one of the most famous. This is the most famous um woman craft scald in the records, and her name was Lautra Bjorg Einar's daughter. And okay, this is a tale about um, well, the tale is called the Catch of Trout. Lautra Berg wandered widely in her vagrancy, 
and occasionally times were difficult for her in the spring, and she did not get to stay in one place for more than two nights. One spring, she came out to Olafsfjörder and stayed the night at a farm there. At the time, there was a great shortage of food among the people. The old woman says some words about it in the morning, that she would, be, she would have to be traveling onwards, but the farmer, who was named Nikolaus, sensed in her speech that she was unwilling to leave, and likewise unwilling to ask permission to stay longer. He tells her that if it would be a favor for her to stay a few nights, then he would now promise to let her stay a week's time if he caught something, because he intended to go fishing in Olaf's Fjarderwatten. Then the old woman goes and says, and here is the Icelandic verse, Af und ogmunni eg falkus, a fjär lukan blausi, silungs aplen sje fervis, sjalvum nikulausi. And the English translation, with spirit and mouth, I choose that the luck may come to you, that the catch of trout be surely for you yourself, Nikolaus. And then the tale resumes to say that the farmer got quite a catch and allowed the old woman to stay for a month. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna let you tell me what the moral is, because otherwise I'm going to end up fucking it up like I have every other one you've read so far. <laughs> Well, I see this. Of course, this is in Iceland. Um, yeah, like, um, Iceland is at this certainly a fairly inclusive society at this time. And there, I guess, the moral is that everyone in the society should be cared for in some way, whether it's like um, vagrant. In this case, vagrants. Yeah. They'll occasionally, be wandering vagrants, and um, and you see, and there are certainly other tales. Um, there are other tales where people are stingy to vagrants, and they get the they get the other end of um. They get the they get the craft of scald's wrath from it instead of their blessings. Okay. And, it's, and in some cases, and in a number of cases, it's it's Lauterburg cursing people. Mm-hmm. It's the same craft of scald. Oh, so it's the same. It's the same scald who who do both sides of the coin. Effectively, if and, you're if you're shitty, you get the the bad side, and if you're nice, you get the good side. Yes. Yeah, so he's, I guess he's out there doing, so, okay, so, so is there, is it often where they're doing good things? Because he does feel quite, quite yeah. wholesome and Christian, you know, he's, yeah. he's blessing those almost who do, who do well, and he's cursing those who mm-hmm. are not so nice. Okay, well, the cursing, um, the cursing definitely tends to be more frequent. Okay. So it's not as it's not as common as to to bless. But, yeah, not as common, but the, but the blessings do occur every now and then. That's yeah. It's um, I'm trying to yeah. It yeah, seems... so I guess this, yeah, as far as morals go, um, well, I would say a little tangent on the Danish merchant thing. Um, let's see. I I wouldn't necessarily say for the ones about Danish merchants. I mean, they're not necessarily change people's attitudes because i mean they're not going to be circulated amongst the danish merchants probably no no, no. These, these are the, the people of iceland telling them to each other but um there are other stories um I, I, I find them a bit comparable in that there's other stories about stingy icelanders like if, like icelanders who have poor hospitality <clears throat> okay in one example or there's one or actually there's one 
one particular farmer, he's he's fairly materially generous in his hospitality with guests, but um, he mo- he tends to mock his guests in insulting verses and other words. And eventually he gets his come up and says, um, a craft of scald chants a curse against him and that renders him luckless and unfortunate for the rest of his days. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay, earlier we mentioned, I, well, I, I asked whether they were mainly priests or religious figures that were the craft skulls. Would they, is there, um, could any, like, yeah, is there a distinction of who could be a craft skull? Do they have to come from any type of background? Do they have to be of a religious standing? No. So it could be anybody effectively. Yeah, there, there's no distinction. Virtually anyone. It ranges from, you have um, again, these, these Christian priests, um, like um, vagrants, like Lao Treborg, and then there's um, poor farm, poor farmers, um, I guess one named Galdralevi, and all sorts of other people. There's um, even a Sislu mother. That's that's a government official. Um, that's usually tra- tra- sometimes translated as county magistrate. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, the, these craft of skulls come from all walks of life. It seems the only thing they have in common is an ability for spontaneously composing verse. Yeah. Okay. So, was there is there a craft of skull training academy where they would go to 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 learn this, or is it something? How again? How much do we know about this, or is it something that it, you're born with? It's a skill that's kind of, and then do we know is it passed down through generation? Okay, that's a good one. There's not, there's no absolutely clear answers mm-hmm. in folklore, although there is some very intriguing ones. Um, I mean, one. Um, let's see, this this can go on for a good tangent. Um, okay, among the stories, um, for a craft of skull named Galdralevi, the story of how he became a craft of skull. It's said to be that um, when he was when he was really young, like just a a baby um having not been born very long okay um i think his yeah his mother is watching over him or is either mother or nurse watching over him and then this mysterious woman comes in and asking for assistance with um let's try short up basically asking for assistance with some other childbirth that's taking in a play taking place elsewhere so they have the one girl this one strange girl turns out to be an, some kind of elf girl while the other woman goes to help with the childbirth Mm-hmm. So basically, this is an, el- an elf site. The elves are having a childbirth somewhere they need help with. Um, Levy's mother, I think, yeah, I think it's Levy's mother, goes and helps with that birth. And then comes um, back to find, um, I guess, little elf girl is playing with Levy. And then, I guess, then suddenly leaves when she gets back. But it's then thought that um, as a reward for, I guess, the good deed and helping the elves out with the childbirth, that um, Galdralevi in the cradle was blessed by the elves with his poetic gifts. Oh, okay. So he could have got it from the elves. Um, that's, that's interesting as to to why because it it seems from from kind of what we've spoke about so far that like, you know it could be anybody. It's it's a case of the. And and you, you know you say like you said it's spontaneous, so it could just be somebody's in a predicament, and mm-hmm. 
for for whatever reason they have the ability to conjure spontaneous verse mm-hmm. and that would then allow them to cast i guess some sort of magic from that and fix the scenario but it doesn't seem like there's a clear cut reason as to why they can do that um oh and and that particular elf scenario that's not the only one there's others there's in one case someone steals a book from an elf in which the book somehow teaches one how to be a craft of scald okay do do, uh, do they all relate to elves no and then there's another one where i um, I thought i had a link there i thought there was a link (laughs) no another one where um i believe he gets it from a droiger it's like this ghost this walking undead creature okay yeah and um forces the droiger to give it his gift give it its gifts and among that one of those appears to be the craft of scald power Wow, okay. But I think there's, and although one imagines that family connections involve, are somehow involved in many cases, because there are a lot of um, family connection craft skull pairs. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, Lautreborg, it was said that her father, um, Einar, was a craft skull. And there's another, there's a, um, there's a Guthmunder Bergthorsen, also famous craft scald. It says his father, Bergthor, was supposed to also be a craft scald. There's a, closer to the end of the 19th century, there's a pair of brothers. Mm-hmm. I think there's, um, and then, actually, um, in another, t- not all of these can be believed. Like, and there's one claim that perhaps Lauterbjörg was the great-grandmother of a, of an early, of a late night, like an early 20th century craft of scald. Um, let's see. I think, I think his name was, um, Brocaire Hauken, or I might be confusing my Haukens here, but <laughs> there was one in the early, but yeah, it was said to be the, and there was, um, and, um, and then there was one craft of scald, um, I guess, um, can't remember it. Anyway, who, I can't remember his first name at this point. Um, probably on the tip of my tongue, but the last name Bjarnerson. But he okay. was, um, it was known he wasn't actually the son of um, this Bjarni. So we, his true father wasn't known. And so um, different stories sprung up about um, who his true father might be. And in, some, in, in many cases, those are other craft scalds. So it could be hereditary in some some cases, I guess it seems. Um yes. Or, or a teaching. And then um, one of the more recent famous pairs, there was a Reverend Pauk, Reverend Pauk Janssen Skalti um, and his daughter, um, Guthrun or Guthrather, um, I think Guthrun Powell's daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and it would be, that would go into a long tangent, but there seem to be some indications that um, Guthrun is aware of her father's reputation as a craft of scald, and she's um, certainly trying to at least steer things in the way to um, build her own reputation as a craft of scald. Right. Okay. So going back to the the one because you, you, I think you mentioned twice ones that were stolen. One was stolen from the elves, and one was stolen from the draugr, and then one. One was the elves where it was almost given as a gift for mm-hmm. for playing with the child. Um, maybe you know the answer to this. Maybe this is too much of a 
niche question. Uh, do we know the people that, or do we have any, I guess maybe we don't even know, the people who were given the gift of the Crafter Scald, would, uh, did we see any correlation between the ones who stole it, whether they were more of a negative connotation and the one who was gifted it through kind of just generosity and, and willing, maybe they had more positive ways of using it. I, I don't know mm. if that if there's any way to even tell that. Mm. See, yeah, it's okay. It's not something in particular I was looking for, and not something I noticed. Um, okay, yeah, it, it just came to my head. That... Came to my head, and I just wondered if there was any kind of okay. correlation between the two things. Because I, I don't know if that would get very far because the number of craft of scalds for where it's said their gift came from is extremely tiny okay. compared to the total number of craft of yeah, skulls. So like, you, you could the overwhelming really... majority, we just don't know how they became craft of skulls. Yeah, okay. So how how were these um, craft of skulls seen by the general public? Were they were they feared? Or did, did people even know who they who they were until it till it happened okay i think um yeah it seems in many cases they were perhaps feared and yeah some of the people do um, some of these craft skulls craft skulls do get a reputation for it so i think um oftentimes fear and wonder there's a um some stuff about lautraburg um actually it's kind of late material but um at least this is Kind of like in a in a folk biography that was put together for Lauterburg, I think it it may um perhaps exam it may um amplify some of the sentiments a bit, but we do see them that um you know, they say that the the craft skulls are seem to be feared and admired. Okay, and a more recent thing. Okay, that um let's see, this is from a this was from a twentieth century um found a recounting of where a, I think either 20th century or maybe early, late 19th century Icelander is recounting, I guess, of his youth and hearing these tales about craft skulls. Mm -hmm. I guess one of them thinking that of like all the gifts that poetry could offer, none was better than the the talent of the craft skulls. Wow. Okay. So he was highly respected. Mm -hmm. Was it ever... But then, of course, there's, there's other reports. Of course, I mean, it's feared. Of course, if you're um, maybe perhaps in the um earlier centuries, mm-hmm. that they're feared if like someone chants a verse and then a person dies later on. <laughs> okay, so that, that was actually going to lead me on to my Which, next. Yes, that happens to, entails. Yes, there'll be verses chanted and then that result in people dying. Yeah, that was gonna. I was gonna wonder whether there was ever any like prosecution for these because obviously, if they were feared. But obviously, it seems like they were respected. But is there any other than the one that we see where God actually gets in, <laughs> involved? Do we ever see, yeah, like prosecution for you, using your your craft skill skilled negatively? That's that's the really strange one. Um, for the tales that talk about the craft of skulls producing magical effects, no. We don't see them later brought up on charges for that, oddly. What we do see, if, um, what we do see at times, if they just make an insulting verse like, so and so is a buffoon, or, um, it's a terrible shopkeeper, or, um, 
let's see, uh, maybe other unmentionable things. Um, I just like garden variety insults that are not necessarily supposed to have an operative magical effect. There's some some reports of them getting into legal trouble for that. <laughs> okay, so it didn't always have to contain contain magic. I mean, yeah, well. These craft skulls are—they're poets um, in the ordinary course of thing, and they make a lot of non-mat, a lot of ordinary poetry, so to speak. Okay, I, I I thought you said oh we said earlier that it was the whole. So what what would distinguish that from just a normal skull then? If it did, I thought it was that it had to kind of contain this magical effect, or could it be the magic or the spontaneous? It's not okay. Well, yes, two- I guess. I guess these are thought of as craft skulled verses when they um, when they when they have a magical effect or are seeking a magical effect. Okay, and other than that, they would just be a scaldic verse. Yes. Okay, I'm with you. So, would the do we? Is there still the consideration that like the scaldic verse comes from the same origins that the I guess in Nordic mythology of it coming from like Cassia's blood and and the the whole kind of story with that does does that run through or do we know where that hmm. stops because yeah. obviously that like, that was the original idea that that it all came from this one point. Let's see, yeah, I couldn't really say when it stops, um, but in in these folk tales, um, okay, I should point out the vast majority of the folk tales that I studied for my PhD dissertation. The overwhelming majority were recorded in the 19th century, and probably okay. most of those in the second half of the 19th century. Okay. So a lot of this is these are folk tales. They're way later than the um, yeah, absolutely than the the, than the medieval period. And yeah, unfortunately, there was um, very seldom mentions of anything to do with like how Odin won the meat of poetry. I think I found in one verse I ran across. The use of the name Sown, one of the containers that the poetic mead came in. I found that okay. as a um as part of a kenning or a Haiti for something in a craft skull verse, but that was that was about it. Okay. But to put on another interesting tangent, there is one tale in which a craft skull verse calls upon Odin. Mm-hmm. This is one of those. It's actually one of those strange ones where there's perhaps two different verses for it. It's it's in two versions. Um, one version reports the verse calling upon Odin. A different version reports a verse calling upon Christ. Okay, yeah. this is a short one, and this is about the craft skull's name is Thormother Erikson Igventerium, and I think he may have also been a he would also been a 17th or 18th century craft skull. At one point, it says, It is said that much of Thormother's fortune diminished when he became old. Previously, he frequently also had trouble making ends meet. Much has been said about his spells, and one time, when he was without light, that is, he has no lamp oil and can't burn anything for light, um, he goes outside during the evening and chants, Kopi, kopi, land, pleiter lov nu skinni. Olven Reikifig up Ausand after Bathni Now the translation O seal, seal, come on to land, dressed in shaggy skin, 
may Odin drive you up onto the sand, according to my prayer. And it is said that a seal crawled up and Thormother knocked it out and exploited it for lamp oil. I guess he needed he needed the lamp oil and he, he got it. <laughs> um and you said there's two versions of that. One is one is Odin and one is Christ? Yes, one's a completely different verse um calling upon Christ. But is it the same kind of structure of the pushing the seal up and or is it just would it be completely different? And no, then- that's that's the weird part about this verse. Um that makes me think this was like the, the tail variant may have got started as someone religious swapped it out because the, 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 the Jesus verse for this is so utterly generic. It makes no reference to seals or lamp oil or anything else. And it could be just a general basic prayer for any kind of distress. I'll read that one. I'll, um, that one here real quick. And that verse goes, the translation, my Jesus, soften my distress. I look to you, O blessed help. Send me your boon of salvation. Answer a prayer, O green tree of the life. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. So... Do you know the reasons, or do, can you guess, I guess, the reason as to why one would have Odin, one would have Christ? Is it, is it a case of the, do you think it would have an older origin, the one with Odin, and then somebody more religious has come in and swapped it? Or um, Yeah, I think that would be my guess. You can almost flip a coin as to which way it goes. Um, but um, I guess the origin... Um, Maybe, I mean, we could perhaps imagine maybe um, with with some verses, it's possible they would have such an origin. Maybe perhaps Thormother himself was trying to promote the idea that he was a craft of scald and mentioned this particular verse um, would be one possibility. Or maybe as the tale went down through the years, perhaps perhaps this was what was thought of Thormother's religious proclivities and maybe the, what people knew of his religious proclivities inspired them to attribute a verse calling Odin calling on Odin. Mm-hmm. Although it's hard to say, because a lot of these at this period in time, you might see the name of Odin show up, but it's not clear. Are they actually calling on Odin or do they think of this as like just another name for Satan? Because oh, there, okay. is, there is that Christian trend at this time period where like they try to assimilate all of the old gods to um, just different names of the devil. Okay, yeah. What a nice thing to do. But at least as the verse stands on its own, um, there's yeah, there, 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 there's nothing structural in the verse itself to say that Odin is an equivalent to Satan here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, do we know whether Crafty Skulls were mainly male, female, um, equal? Do we, do we have that information? Um, yes, I think of all the names. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there's a let's see. Um, there's a, it's a minority that are female. I think there was at least at least ten. I think out of the two hundred names that were known are female. Okay, so is that the is that the same for um, just scaldic poets as well? Would that be? 
I think so. It's at least from what we see recorded in the sagas. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to say that probably the. I mean, we do see women making verses in the sagas every now and then. Um, although um, they're they're a minority there. Um, I would imagine it might be similar in that the um, women making verse in the sagas may be about comparable to the percentage of women that are craft the skulls in the later folklore. Do we? I'm trying to think, because you said these were mainly written in, what, the late 19th century? Yes. Obviously, they are much older than that. Is it a case, do we have, do, is there like a, a time period that's maybe like the origin point of the of most of these, or do they all go back, or can we trace most of them back to like different points, or can we not really trace them back? At all, I guess. Okay, let's see. Um, some of them you really can't trace back. There's there's a particular tale, um, and this is a, a scholar who wrote on the craft of skulls in the sixties, Boo Almquist, observed this one. There's a particular tale about a craft of skull and then a merchant's liquor barrel, and it's attributed to five different craft of skulls. And that's seen as because it's attributed to so many different craft of skulls that it's a sign of the great age of the tale. Okay. So the more the more craft of skulls, the older the tale. Okay, yeah, that's one that's one way. But then we don't know how so far some of them go back. Um let's see that um of course, as I said, Lautreburg is from the 18th century. So um as to exact now, some of the tales about her perhaps could be that old. Um, maybe, maybe the only secure conclusion we could have is that probably tales about her being a craft have probably been told about her being a craft of skull since she was around. One, one doesn't imagine that someone like a hundred years after their death, suddenly craft of skull tales would start popping up if none had existed earlier. Okay. At least that's my view on it. So probably there were tales going around about most of these names, craft of skulls, made close to when they were when they were living, mm-hmm. or while they're alive. So, so seeing as it's more oh, of a and one, oh, um, go on. let me see, was it? Um, I, I almost thought of that name, that other craft of skull. And then, and there's there's perhaps maybe almost one rare exact case where we could actually speak of a, um an origin story for a craft of skull tale. Um, that's the, um, the one I mentioned. Um, uh, why can't I remember his name? Um, Bjarnason, but, um, there's a, there's a report that he's like drunk somewhere in, in Reykjavik, he's going to be arrested for public drunkenness. And then he chants a verse saying, it starts with saying, if I am the son of Hjalmar, um, basically it would put a curse on these policemen for arresting him. And then it's reported that, um, the police decide not to arrest him. So he's using his powers for good. <laughs> so okay, with this with this being quite a um, a recent tradition, I guess you know it's what hundred and fifty years by the time they were written down. If we're talking, well, no, um, that's the most of them. There's there reports of these 
of the existence of these figures and some of the earliest tales they go back to being written down like the early 1600s mm-hmm. even but, and but then, i was actually i was, I was going to go the other other way and, and look and say does does this kind of is this trend sort of ended by the time they were written down or are there people today who would consider themselves craft skills or do we know at what point this kind of dies out and stops being a belief that people can do this it does seem to go into into some part into the 20th century when i was revising my dissertation i looked at a couple tales that actually are into the 20th century almost even to the middle of the 20th century wow okay so it's and so it's a long-standing tradition yes and it's um so I, I I wouldn't completely say I wouldn't say with any complete certainty that it's ever finally died. Maybe there's still some lurking around in some corners of Iceland mm-hmm. today. Yeah, it feels like there's a huge range of what these these poems can can do. I guess or, or the will of them with the magic. Because you said you just had a gentleman who wanted to not get arrested for being drunk and disorderly, but then there are also people who have died because of a result of these, these craft of scold um, verses. So it, it ranges from almost trivial all the way through to conjuring the devil or death in some cases. That's, it's such a range. It, it seems quite hard to pinpoint like a, a reason why or like put some sort of correlation towards it all, I guess. Sorry. I, I think I missed what, what the question was in there. I, to me, it wasn't necessarily a question. It was more just like an observation through, mm-hmm. through the episode of, of how it is such a different, a wide variety of things that it's mm-hmm. used for that. Yeah. It just doesn't, it seems quite, quite bizarre that it is just this huge spread and whether there was, any kind of understanding, I guess, behind that. Or like why it spread so far? Or what why it spreads across so many different topics and functions. Yeah, it's more yeah, more the topics of just how we can go from something as almost as trivial. Because you know, we're talking about magic, it is still mm-hmm. I guess considered quite a powerful thing. But you have somebody using it just for a small it is a bit like a trivial personal gain of I don't want to be arrested. But then you have ones of God being involved and coming down and you know, punishing the the priest who used it or summoning the devil or somebody dying. It, it seems like it's, you know what I mean? It's like such a big range from from one thing to the, from one mm-hmm. small to the extreme. Yeah, there's even someone chanting against, uh, I think, a headache. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's like there's yeah. no real kind of boundaries of what you can mm-hmm. and can't do with it. It's, oh, yeah. I find that quite very interesting. Okay. I think that would go back to... Um, to the great esteem that Icelanders gave to the poetic gift itself. Poetry is seen as um, so valuable and such a remarkable um, treasured kind of like part of like their national inheritance, but there's um, perhaps no limits to what they want to attribute that the poetry can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think it was, it's maybe a case of the, uh, maybe I'm, looking at magic through kind of like my eyes and a, and a modern perspective of thinking of it as being quite this, this big thing where maybe at the time it wasn't considered such a, a huge effect. It was just maybe common 
uh, something that most people maybe believed in. So it was just like a common occurrence. It wasn't, it wasn't weird that somebody would use it to cure a headache because it's just, that's just what you do. Or that's kind of in the realms of possibility. Whereas looking at it from my perspective today, it's like magic for a headache. Like, no, use it for something much better than that. I guess there's a lot of range on it. It's, I do find that very fascinating. And I wonder if, um, if it is that because it was just more accepted or more kind of seen, you would see magic would be just an everyday event or at least an everyday thought. Whereas I guess maybe today it's, it's not. Um, okay. We're, we're, we're pushing We're we're at an hour. Is there anything, anything else we, we need to know about crafter scolds before maybe then you can, if you want to maybe touch on some of your, your books and then we can, uh, Jump over and do a short Q and A. Yeah, let me see. Um, had some notes here. I think. Um, okay, I guess the perhaps the last thing I mentioned with craft of skulls. Um, we didn't get into, of course, these tales. There's so many that um, even I can glaze over at them. But craft of skulls. One thing they will do is kind of a, a, a benefit to the community is chant down walking corpses. Okay. Apparently that's um they're called Droiger. Mm-hmm. That was apparently a serious problem in um post-medieval Iceland. And there's numerous tales, um, some with verses, some without, in which um the, the craft of skull will confront the Droiger and chant verse at it, and that will cause the Droiger to go down into the earth and disappear. See, I feel like that's using your magic powers for good. Mm-hmm. That's like that's what I want somebody to do, not not get rid of a headache. And- yeah, sometimes and this is the case. Sometimes where like the, the craft of scalds, um, sometimes they struggle a lot with some of these droiger because they can be really powerful. But most of these droiger tales will end with the tale will end with a statement of like the droiger was not seen again, just as a way to say that it's been banished. Mm-hmm. And in a very interesting twist, there's there's some self aware humor in one craft of scald tale, and. It's, I think it's, it may be attributed to a couple different Craft of Skull tales, but uh, Craft of Skull who has, um, discovers he has a leaky chamber pot and he, he chants a verse against the chamber pot. Okay. Um, I think cursing the chamber pots to hell. And the tale ends with the chamber pot was not seen again after this. <laughs> okay. So... I'm I'm so that feels like a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> so did you did, the poor chamber pot? What did what did it do wrong? It was leaking. Oh, I mean, fucking get rid of it then. Yeah, I agree. I'd never see that chamber pot ever again. Jeez, <laughs> but I feel like you don't need magic for that. Just throw it out, put it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> This is such a, a it's such a fascinating topic because it seems like there is no. I think in my head, I always try and find rhyme or reason for things, and this just seems like there it just isn't rhyme or reason for some of these stories. It's just you just have to kind of accept mm-hmm. that someone's gonna craft a skull to chamber pot away. Uh, yeah, it's, it's different. Like I said, I've certainly never heard of it, heard of craft skulls before, and that's it's always fascinating learning something completely. Completely new that you can go from a, a chamber pot to getting rid of the undead. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, that that 
I'm I'm really obsessed with that spectrum of of use. I think it's it's absolutely fascinating. Is uh okay, so do you want to maybe to talk a little bit about your own books a little before we go where people can pick them up and read some of your so I guess they are, are they your poems? Do you you are your you're a poet in your own right and you Yes. So are your book's mainly your own work or is it just your research on on the topic? Yeah, yeah, these poems are my own work. Um a lot of in many ways they can be influenced by some of my research. Um Okay. Actually if I can you might let me get up for just a moment. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Go and okay. Go and grab one of the books. Yeah, what a I think what a fascinating topic because it just feels with with this. I mean, this is all due respect. It sounds batshit crazy for some of the reasons as to why this was used, and it's it's all over. And there's a huge array of use. It's 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 it is okay. Very fascinating for me. Um, did you have you got one of the books? Yes. Okay. Um, let's see. I have a couple. There's um. Well, I guess the two main ones. Um, this is uh, the first one. Okay. The Viking Poetry for Heathen Rights. Yep. It's a, it's a lovely cover. Thank you. I get to the best artists for these books. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's, the, that's lovely is the, the cover of that one. And what's the second one? Yeah, um, but I guess a little bit about the first one. That's, oh, true, yeah. Yeah, that's um, also true um, religious poetry. There's like for calls that's used there for like um, hallowing ritual space, um, like calls for like calling the gods for a blessing. There's assembled toasts, even a couple mythological stories. Um, Cause there was many, there's many stories in the mythology, there's a couple in the, in the mythology that don't have poetic forms. Mm-hmm. And I turned a number of those into poetry. Okay. And even tried my hand in there. It's turning some of the stories into a ritual drama where you could have different speaking parts for different people. Oh, nice. Okay. that's um so when it comes to to kind of working on ritual stuff particularly in modern rituals do you do you take reference from older things or is it completely kind of your own creation how does i've always been fascinated like how that works like a number of these poems i'll work in like various known kennings for the gods mm-hmm. um and I think um, sometimes I'll like make new kings based on those. Let's see, for SETI, um, I can't remember it's a translation, but I call I, I call him Queller of Quarrels and Stiller of Strife. He's a peacemaker, and I think maybe only only one of those I think is a translation of something that was from the old okay. Norse. Yeah, the other one was built on that model. So well, they so, the, so they're inspired by. Yes. Some of the um, like some of the story retellings are fairly direct, um, except that I put them into meter. Okay, wonderful. Um, okay, and the second, what was the second book? Yes, second book, um, Eagles Mead, initiatory oh, poetry nice. and prose. This is a my collection of a lot of um, runic and esoteric poetry. A lot of it based on my work in uh, an organization called the Rune Guild. Okay. There's um a lot in there about runes and 
let's see how do I summarize the contents. Um, yeah, this is it's it's more it's more personal poetry rather than a lot of the things in the first book is um, mythological stories. This is more about um, let's see. Eagles Mead is more about my reflections of my work with the runes mm -hmm. and creating new things inspired by them. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's like your own personal journey, I guess. Yes. Like it's my journey through, um, let's see, let's see, a um, runic curriculum of study and my reflections on it. Oh, nice. So where, where can people pick the books up? Let's see. They um, probably any online bookseller where you could order them, but um, you can find them. Let's see, probably the easiest way to find the books is to go to my link tree. Yeah. And it's the first link on there. That's like some, I think those go uh, linktr.ee slash the Scaldic Eagle. Perfect. I love how Linktree do that as a link as well. Mm. <laughs> I think it, first time I looked at it, I was like, what? But we'll, um, yeah, we'll put the, the link tree in the the description below so people will be able to find it and yeah go and okay. go and grab and, a book i'm gonna i'm gonna pick pick one okay. up and oh yes and while i want to me while mentioning the link tree, I, to, I have at least i think there's four other links in there right now including my academia.edu page for scholarship um if people are wondering where they can get read more about the craft of scalds um well, i'm still working on getting my dissertation published as a proper academic book but that's going to take quite a while. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, um, in 1961, Boo Almquist wrote an article about the craft of scalds, and I translated that along with Trace and Yarthvik. And that trans the translation of that article is available on my academia edu page. Yeah. Perfect. If you're hungry for craft of scald stuff, there's plenty to read there right now. Yeah, I know and I think academia.edu needs more of a shout out for people who aren't necessarily in the academic world because I get questions all the time of like where can I read more about this stuff where can I what books shall I buy in and I think like academia.edu is probably the best place where people can just read scholarly papers for free um and it's it's such a it's such a un, an underrated source I would say for for the average layperson obviously I think it's probably used a lot more among academics because you're kind of aware of it but i think most people aren't aware of what a good little source it is for, for the material yeah let's let's wrap this up and then we will do a little should we do a little q a yes i know i did see a question go by earlier that i think yes definitely want to answer yeah absolutely we'll get them to type them out type type them out and we'll do a little q a so if you want to listen a to a little bit more of Eric, then on our Patreon, you can get the Q&A that we're going to record right after this. We do that with every guest that we get on here. We spend about 20 minutes. The The people watching live can ask questions. You can also submit questions before the episode. And you get that um, just at Patreon, forward slash Nordic Mythology Podcast. We've also had a couple of weeks off doing the Storytime episode with Jonas Lorenzo. Unfortunately, he's had a, a little bit of a health issue going on, but that's all back to, to normal and he's going to be coming back on Tuesday and they're going to resume. So look out for those. They're always a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and it starts from £3 a month. It's like buying me a cup of coffee and there's a lot of material on there that you can catch up with as well. Um, Eric, uh, you said you had a Patreon. Do you want to oh. shout that out? Yes. Um, yes, I have a Patreon. It's um, yes, under... 
yeah, um, simply enough, the link tag, the, the link name is the Scaldic Eagle for it. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of my new poetry that I'm um, writing and putting out there, um, I, I update four times a month. Usually first mo- first Wednesday of the month is uh, poetry. Uh, second Wednesday of the month will be some kind of either esoteric or academic essay. And then third Wednesday, I'll have an audio recording. And fourth Wednesday is what I call about poetic teachings. I'm working on, um, I do a lot of alliterative poetry and working on a way of like teaching aspects of this alliterative poetry for modern use. Perfect. Wonderful. Um, yeah. And if you want to follow the, the Nordic podcast on any of the platforms, it's literally Nordic podcast. And if you want to follow me, Personally, it's Daniel underscore Firen1. Um, I've been punching a bunch of short reels of really interesting places that I've been going to on a weekend. So if you if that sounds of interest, definitely go and check that out. But Eric, thank you. Thank you very much. Like I say, it's always fascinating when it's a topic that I've never really heard of or learned about before. So thank you for taking the time and we will jump over and do a Q&A. Thank you for having me on here. I've enjoyed it. Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm.